having two crises as a nation at the same time is a bit disorientating uh, with the COVID problem and also our political roller coaster. Uh, it's a little bit disorientating, uh, but it kind of reminds us that uh, the life of the nation is like a journey. And even those of us who have been uh, faithfully praying over this nation, uh, it does seem like there are a lot of detours, uh, there are a lot of uh, roundabout way. And so it is a reminder, just as our faith is, life is a journey. And uh, though there are twists and turns, it is important where we're heading and who we are trusting to bring us to our destination. It kind of reminds me of the uh, story I came across about um, uh, the race to be the first nation or the first team to reach the South Pole. This was in uh, uh, 1910, and there were two teams, one by the British, uh, led by uh, the, one on the, right, uh, the one on the left, Robert Scott, and uh, the Norwegian team led by Rod uh, Edmondson. And so they um, kind of get their teams together, and obviously they represented the pride and the honor of their nation. And, uh, set out uh, to conquer or be the first nation to reach the South Pole. And um, it's an amazing story, uh, a story about bravery, courage, perseverance in the face of great dangers and hardship. Um, but it was a tragic story as well. Uh, the British team lost out eventually to the Norwegian team and uh, Robert Scott and his team very tragically lost their lives. Uh, they reached, we know from the journal that was found um, later, uh, that Robert's team, Scott's team, actually reached the South Pole. They obviously were disappointed that they found the Norwegian flag there, but uh, on the journey back to their ship, they actually um, encountered uh, too much um, uh, you know, cold and, and, and the winter storms, and they perished, the whole team uh, perished um, uh, while making their journey back. And it's a, a kind of a sad story, but... Um, it, it's very interesting lessons because the way the two teams approached the journey was uh, uh, very different. Um, the Norwegian team had a very simple goal and they kept very consistently to that goal and that is to be the first nation that reached the South Pole. Uh, the British team, uh, obviously they wanted to be first as well, but they had also other secondary goals like doing scientific experimentations that obviously slowed down their progress. And the other, thing about the other thing that we found about the Norwegian team was that they were very disciplined and very consistent in the way they approached traveling each day. And so they kept to a discipline of, of you know, trying to you know, cover at least five to six hours and you know, uh, they tried to keep to that limit um, you know, in, in journeying every day. And so it, it was, if it was a bright, beautiful, great day, they were kept to five to six hours. They, they, you know, they didn't overstretch themselves. Uh, but it was, if it was a bad day, snowstorms, whatever, uh, they also kept the discipline you know, uh, to try to cover five, six hours of trekking in a day. So whether good or bad, they, they were very consistent to keep to their plan. On the other hand, the British team, uh, Scott is a little bit more, uh, how shall we say, um, uh, dynamic in, in his approach. Uh, on a good day, you know, he will travel not just five, six hours, he will push his team to 10 or 9 or 10 hours, which really tired out his team. And then on a bad day, you know, snowstorm, whatnot, uh, they were discouraged and they didn't travel at all. So very inconsistent, and uh, that caused obviously a lot of complications uh, in how they uh, uh, approached the journey. 
Norwegian team, uh, very disciplined, five men and a, a, com a team of dogs that pulled the slate and, and uh, went on with that. British team, they had um, 16, they started out with 16 men, they had uh, 10 donkeys, or sorry, 10 ponies and a huge team of dogs and it complicated the speed and the pace and all that. And all that complications caused a lot of uh, logistical problems uh, that of course contributed to the, the tragic end of the um, British team. And so one thing that came very um, clearly out of you know, studies of the two, how the two teams approached the race was that the Norwegian side was very consistent in their purpose, right? They, uh, they, they had one clear goal and they kept to it. They were not distracted by secondary demands or complications and they kept to a simple, disciplined approach every day, meeting their targets and traveling consistently according to their plan, uh, whereas the British team were all over the place and obviously losing focus, bogged down by complexity, they eventually lost their lives. Which brings us to our passage. We have been, of course, um, uh, doing the Bible study on Exodus where Moses, God empowered Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and they're supposed to travel uh, to the promised land. And uh, if you have been keeping pace with the, uh, the daily readings, you would have gone through the initial part of their journey. Um, obviously, they were under oppression and slavery in Egypt, uh, but with a mighty hand, God brought them out of Egypt and they started their journey, the great miracle of the uh, Red Sea parting and they went through the um, wilderness. But as you read on the story, you found that the people's heart were all over the place. They, you know, they, Moses wanted them to teach them about God, that they have to know God, that this is the God of their forefathers. This is a God who will provide for them on the journey. And this is the God who will reveal himself through the laws. But the people's heart Half of them were still in their hearts back in Egypt. You know, they would think, they would tell Moses, you know, why did you bring us out into the wilderness to kill us, right? You, why not just kill us there in Egypt? Why do you, you know, go through all this trouble to bring us out? We don't have enough food to eat. We remember the good old days in Egypt where we had leeks and garlics and we had such a great time. And now you bring us out into this wilderness uh, to suffer. And by the way, what's the, where, where's the water? How do we find water? And so you see day by day, the people had a lot of complaints. Uh, their, their hearts and their focus were all over the place about their comfort, etc., their safety, etc. And so and a lot of complications in their journey. Uh, if you read on uh, about what's going to happen later on, you will find that uh, you know, because of their, how do I call it, lack of faith and confidence in God, they had to spend the next 40 years uh, in their wilderness journey. And so the experience of Israel thus far in their Exodus journey was one of setbacks, delay, complaints, complications that they need not have had if they only had faith and confidence in God. All of this tragically led to the controversy and the idolatry of the golden calf. Um, God has so, been so gracious up to this point. Um, when they were hungry, God gave them manna bread from heaven, gave them meat, um, miraculously uh, gave them water in the desert, but they still doubted uh, that God would be faithful to the end. And in the incident where Moses went up to the mountain to receive the law of the, God, uh, the, law of the Lord, 
Unfortunately, the people got anxious and said, you know, this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. He, he went up the mountain, seems to have disappeared. Um, no news from him, not even a, a Twitter text or, you know, a WhatsApp to give us an update. Nothing's been heard. Uh, the worst have come out of him, so what are we going to do? This is the guy who led us out of Egypt, the comfort, the comfort of Egypt, and now we are lost in the desert. What shall we do? Uh, they wanted the next best thing. If they can't have Moses that uh, breached them to God of their forefathers, let's build a golden calf. Let this be our God who will lead us onwards. And so the tragic incident where they uh, kind of worshipped uh, the golden calf and that all of that previous disobedience and unbelief led to this climactic betrayal of their God by worshipping this golden calf. And this incident actually threatened their relationship with God. Uh, all along, God has been providing for them, protecting them, but by this ultimate betrayal of idolatry, they put their relationship with God under jeopardy. And uh, if you read, uh, you know, uh, uh, Exodus 32 and the, in, the golden calf incident in 33, you would realize that Moses stepped into the breach uh, on behalf of God's people. God was at the point where he's going to bring, you know, grave judgment and destruction on the people, but Moses stepped into the breach. Now, Moses is a leader who has taken a lot of, uh, how do I call it, pushback from his people. Uh, they grumbled against him. They complained against him. They doubted his leadership. Uh, they responded with ungratefulness to all that Moses had done for them. But in this critical moment in the life of the nation, Moses stepped into the breach and pleaded with God on behalf of the people, uh, please uh, do not forsake these people. Please don't bring your judgment on these people. Remember the glory of your name and remember your people. And so uh, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people before God. And out of the people, only Moses had the faith and the obedience to come into God's presence, as it were, to intercede and plead on behalf of the nation. In contrast to the this, uh, disobedience and disbelief or, or the unbelief of the people of Israel, Moses is someone who yearned to be in God's presence and who prayed and interacted with God in his presence. And so just to um, focus our reflection and thoughts today, we just want to look at what it means to live in God's presence. And there are three key um, ideas or areas that we want to uh, perhaps reflect on and pray about. Uh, that is, living in, God, living in God's presence is, first of all, knowing God, knowing God in a living relationship with Him. And from our knowledge of God, from our relationship of God, it is about resting in God's presence. And lastly, it is about moving forward in life, journeying with God in His presence. Uh, this is Moses uh, talking back to God, he's interacting with God, and earlier on, uh, God had told Moses that uh, he has found favor, Moses has found favor with God, and so this is Moses in his, one of his interactions with God in uh, chapter 33, verse 12, 
uh, you have said, meaning God, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And so the beginning, the foundation of our relationship with God is not so much that we know God or we have a PhD in theological studies, etc. The foundation of our relationship with God is that God first knows us. Even in our unbelief and ignorance, the foundation of our relationship with God is that God knows us by name. And if God knows us by name, He knows every detail about our lives and what we're going through and the situations we are in. And so we want to take comfort in that all that is happening, in the struggles that we are facing and some of the the fears that we deal with are in our hearts, you know, uh, other people may not know about them, but all our secret fears and struggles that we face, God is a God who knows us by name. I was uh, um, um, listening to um, one of the prayer, I think this is the prayer ministry training uh, that we had many years ago in church, and um, this was a pastor in Holy Brompton Trinity. Those of you in Alpha, Nikki Gumbel is from Holy Trinity Brompton. And, but this is the senior pastor, um, you know, training, giving a training uh, about prayer ministry. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the testimonies uh, was uh, in that prayer ministry, and there was one lady, sister in Christ, going through a crisis in her life, uh, you know, turmoil and struggles that um, is unbearable. And um, so she came for the prayer ministry uh, time. And those who are ministering in prayer ministry, one of them received a word of knowledge from the Lord about this sister's situation. Um, and so this person, this minister, walked up to the, the lady, the sister in Christ, and said that, you know, God said to me that you, the name of this lady, let's say Sarah, uh, you know, you, Sarah, this is what God says about your situation. And the lady just said, you know, just stop right there because, you know, it is enough for me to know that God actually knows my name. You know, all these struggles, I'm taught that, you know, I'm struggling alone. And the fact that God in my struggles actually knows my name and revealed my name to another person coming up to me, that's, uh, you know, that's enough for her. And that gave her the strength to deal with the situation in her life because she knows that God knows what she's going through and that God will bring her through. So being known by God is the foundation of our relationship with him. Moses himself, um, in the early part of the Exodus story, uh, as you guys, uh, a lot of you would know, he grew up in Egypt, but because of an incident where he killed an Egyptian official, he had to flee the land of Egypt. And for the next 40 so years, he was sort of in exile. He was a you know, convict on the run, so to speak. And he's in this neighboring country, Median, and he's been you know, staying there and living there for 40 years. He might have thought that God would have forgotten about him. Uh, you know, it's, you know, he has nothing more to do uh, with God's people, his own people, the Hebrews, the Jews. And so he's just a um, you know, criminal on the run, so to speak, and, and eking out a life in a neighboring country. But it's one incident where he saw that burning bush, 
And as he turned to look at the burning bush, he heard God say to him, Moses, Moses. He may be a lost, wandering soul for the last 40 years in Median, but God remembered about Moses. God knew his name. And from that moment on, from the moment in which God called his name, Moses started to experience God in a real and powerful way. This is the time when God will, beginning, will begin to use his life for the deliverance of God's people. And so from the moment he heard God say his name, Moses experienced God in a powerful way. Think about his contra- confrontation with pharaohs and the pharaoh's officials and magicians. God experienced or manifests himself, his power, his grace, through the interaction and struggles with Pharaoh and his uh, officials. Moses experienced God through all the, the plagues that hit Egypt in judgment. He saw God do marvelous, wonderful works to deliver his people from the bondage of slavery. He experienced God at the, the, the Red Sea where the sea parted and all God's people could cross on dry land. He experienced God in the wilderness, how God provided food, manna from heaven, water in the midst of the desert plains. From that moment when he heard God call his name, Moses experienced God in a powerful way. We may not have such dramatic experiences with God, but know this, when God says your name and calls you by name. God is inviting you into a living relationship with him, a relationship that will shape your life and your destiny. And God calls us by name in many ways. Not all of us, none of us ever had a burning bush experience, I don't think so. But in various ways, God has made himself known to us. Some of you have experienced Alpha, and through the Alpha discussions and how people prayed for you, you heard God call your name. Many of us, through the struggles of life, when we have no one else to turn to, experience God speaking our name, giving us rest and assurance. But Moses doesn't stop there. In verse 13, Moses says, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Now, in the previous verse, the earlier verse, God already says, I know you by name. You have found favor with me. But Moses is not contented to stop there. Moses replies to God, responds to God to say, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Despite the dramatic experiences that Moses have encountered with God, he knew that in the struggles and challenges ahead, he would need fresh encounters, fresh inspiration from God in order to deal with the struggles that are coming ahead in the future. He was not contented to rest that, yeah, you know, previously, last year, six months ago, we had this 
great prayer and, you know, that's going to take us forward. He's not contented to rest there. He is pursuing an ever-deepening relationship and experience with God. And so while we remember and honor the past, and while we should remember and give thanks to how God has spoken to us and worked in our lives, these past testimonies should give us the encouragement and the motivation to pursue an ever-deepening relationship with God for living the days and the years ahead because you cannot use the experience you had 10 years ago and you have dropped off from the radar screen in your pursuit of a relationship with God and expect that to carry you forward. It is an everyday, it is a continuous drive and pursuit of knowing God and knowing His ways and being in a living relationship with Him. And so, even as we face struggles and crises on a personal level, at a family level, at a national level, the most important thing in a crisis is not so much a quick solution, it is knowing and experiencing God. When we are in a crisis, we are faced with an opportunity to experience God's deliverance, His provision, His Word in a way that we have not experienced before. A crisis is an opportunity, is an invitation to know God's heart for a particular situation in a way that we have not known before. Now, of course, if we are having a medical condition, it's a medical emergency, obviously you need to take fast action. There's no question about it. I mean, in a COVID-19 situation, we do expect government authorities, health authorities to have very fast, timely, appropriate action. But in the struggles of life, in the struggles and questions about faith, what is happening to my life, what is happening to the life of my family, what is happening to the life of the nation, we naturally want quick answers and solutions. But my friends, the most important thing is to know God's heart for a particular situation. Later on, uh, before, after 40 years of wandering the desert and before the new generation crossed over into the promised land, Moses wanted to remind the people how God has worked in their lives in the previous generation, all those years in the desert. And he said it that way in the verse before this, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, something along the lines of, God tested you in the wilderness. He humbled and tested you so that God would know the content of your hearts to see whether you would obey His commands or not. And he continues in this verse, He humbled you, giving you manna from heaven when you were hungry, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We want quick solutions, but what God wants to give us is His word, the revelation of His heart and character. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, if, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, doesn't mean that God will allow us to starve because in the giving of his gracious word, he also provided bread from heaven, right? The manna to sustain the life of these people. And so, knowing God's word for a particular situation is also to know his provision, 
his protection, his blessing, but on God's terms and in his way. And so I leave this with you, all of us, to ponder and pray about, and that in our struggles that we face and in the life of this nation, whether we are looking for quick answers or whether we desire that ever-deepening relationship with Him. Knowing God in a living relationship with Him is also to know His rest. In response to the previous verse, how uh, Moses prayed or interacted with God, this is how the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, when we see this term rest in a Bible, it's not to take an afternoon nap and have a nice you know, cup of coffee and you're, you're relaxed. Uh, that's not what it means. Rest is knowing God's provision, to know his rule, his authority, his protection, his provision for his people so that his people are secured in the grace and protection of the law. That's rest. In the earlier, um, after the, the amazing uh, parting of the Red Sea, after God brought his people safely across, uh, Moses gave them this song of praise, right? Uh, in Exodus chapter 15, he says, uh, this is praising God, in your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Again, this is an idea of traveling or journeying under God's grace and protection. And in verse 17 of chapter 15, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. This is again a, a picture, a depiction of God's protection, His grace and provision for His people. In other words, His rest. And there are two parts of that rest, if you look at this verse. It is that journey as God brought them through the desert wilderness, and it is also that ultimate rest when God secures them in the promised land. But as I said before, because of the golden calf incident, because of the betrayal of, of God by the people, that promised rest was in jeopardy. And, and as I said before, Moses intervenes and pleads before God to forgive the people, to have mercy on the people. And because of the previous prayer of Moses to say, I desire to know you more, teach me your ways so that I might find favor in your sight. God gives that reassurance of his rest that we saw in the, in the verse. And so rest is, to rest in God is to live under his protection and favor. Even in the midst of struggles. It's not just the ultimate angle for the Christian. We know that when we are, after this earthly life, when we are in God's full presence, we will truly have rest, the promised rest for every believer. But God's promise of rest is for our journey on earth as well. You will see the um, studies that we have done, we have obviously read through um, Genesis now, and now we are you know, halfway through in Exodus. Joseph, that you read before in um, Genesis, where he was sown into a slavery and, and uh, was in the land of Egypt for a while, 
you see, God's presence, even though it was a terrible situation, his brother sold him off for slavery and he had to, you know, unjustly imprison and all of that struggle. Through all of that, if you read through that text, God's favor was with Joseph. Even in the midst of that terrible injustice, God's grace, his protection, his favor, his rest was covering Joseph all the while. Moses, as I mentioned before, 40 years as a convicted criminal on the run in a neighboring country. All this while, God's rest was, be, was with him. He might have thought that God has forgotten him. He has no more purpose as far as the life of God's people are concerned. But God's rest, his provision, his protection, his favor was always with Moses in his 40 years of exile. And God's rest throughout that journey of Moses and the people of Israel through that desert wilderness experience. They found hardships, there were dangers, there were obviously threats or potential of starvation and thirst, but through it all, God's rest was with his people in providing for their needs. We naturally prefer things to be different for various situations in life. We have our comfort zone. Um, we have areas in our life that we think to ourselves, if only things were different, I would obviously be better off. Uh, I would feel more secure, more confident, etc. A lot of us, naturally myself included, our sense of peace, of rest, it's very much dictated by circumstances, by situations. Circumstance is good, it's great. Situation is uh, lousy, then obviously we panic and uh, we feel distraught, we feel disturbed. But that's not God's rest. God's rest is his unfailing love, his righteous determination to be faithful to all that he has planned for you. That's God's rest. That rest is not troubled by circumstances. We may be disturbed by circumstances, but God's righteous determination to fulfill all that he has set up for you in Christ Jesus is not affected by circumstances. And finally, journeying with God. Same verse in verse 14 here, uh, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. This is all that, if you read that passage, that is actually Moses' heart's desire. This is the heart of his prayer, actually, because, you know, God was obviously angry with the people over the golden calf. And he says, you know, I, I, I will no longer go with you as you go ahead. I, I will send angels and the angel will lead you on. But myself, my own presence, you know, I will stay away and not follow you in case the, the people, you know, burns him to anger to, 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 to destroy them. And so God says, better maybe that, you know, I, I don't go with the people. Uh, but it was... Moses' heart's desire and prayer to say, God, go with us. 
We need your presence to go with us. And this is what, how Moses continues to say it. Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, please don't send us to continue the journey. Because Moses understands that it's not going to be Israel's, um, how do I call it, provisions of manpower and inventiveness to maybe support themselves or how strong they were. Um, he knows that if they relied on human strength, they're going to go for a terrible uh, destruction or end in the desert. Moses understands that the only thing that will make their journey successful and bring them to the destination is God's own presence with them. And this is how Moses uh, says it. How would anyone know? This is the next verse, I think. Um, how would anyone know that you are pleased with me and will go with your people unless you go with us. And he continues on to say, if you don't go with us, what distinguishes your people? We are no different from other people. Unless you go with you, God, unless your presence go with us, we are no different from other people. And that's a key reminder for us as the church in Malaysia It is not our riches. It is not our success stories, uh, our access to influential politicians, our ability to have great programs. These are not things that will make us influential. The difference for the church is whether God is present with us or not. Somebody has written that um, if, if the Holy Spirit were to depart from the modern church today, about 99% of our activities will just run as normal, right? And it's a, a bit of an indictment <laughs> to, uh, you know, especially, you know, Methodists, we like to have our programs very structured, very organized in our thinking. Uh, but it's a real challenge, right? If God's Spirit were to leave us, most of our programs would, you know, would have been just churning on without, a, you know, any sort of a difference. But we are called to remind ourselves that the only distinctive difference that the church has is God's very own presence in our midst, in our lives. If God's presence is not with us, we are no different from a moral society or NGO. Probably they'll do better works than us if you just compare apple to apple. The differentiating presence of God is the one that will transform lives for eternity. And if we lose sight of that fact, we can happily go on with our programs or be discouraged given certain setbacks or circumstances and we say, you know, I had enough, you know, that's it. I've heard it said that some um, church leaders and pastors would think or leaders in ministry would think that, um, you know, I... I I need a private jet or, you know, I, I, I need, you know, a BMW. Why? Because I'm ministering to CEOs and successful business people. And so if, if I, I need a Mercedes-Benz or BMW to show that I'm credible, that I can be on the same level to engage with them. That's a huge mistake. And so we are reminded, whatever we do for the Lord, 
including praying for the nation. We are not actually praying, if I may put it this way, for access to politicians or a certain party platform. We can pray over all this, that's fine, but that's not our ultimate aim. Our ultimate aim is that God's presence will inhabit our lives individually and as the church because that's the only thing that will transform the life of this nation. And so, governments may come and go, but God's presence is still with us. And so we want to walk step, we want a journey with the Lord, even though this journey as a nation have taken unexpected twists and turns and we may be disorientated. But that's part of the journey. That's part of our calling to know God's heart for a particular situation. That's our calling to trust God in the midst of all the setbacks and our disappointments. And so I want to leave this uh, um, quote uh, by Hudson Taylor, this the famous missionary that went over to China, and he says, it's not so much the greatness of our troubles as the littleness of our spirit, the shallowness of our faith, the shallowness of our experience with God that makes us complain. And that's true for the Exodus generation as they traveled to the wilderness. They never learned from God's deliverance and provision for them. They kept on complaining because their faith remained shallow. God, could have, God parted the Red Sea for them, but they did not take that into the very core of their beings and let that teach them about God. They were more concerned about their own well, immediate welfare and comfort. And that generation died in the desert without going into the promised land. And so I leave this word of the Lord with you for us to pray about that you will not be discouraged and that you will not stop working for God's kingdom in the life of your family, in the life of your community, your schools, your offices, the workplace, you will not give up on praying for the nation because of God's presence with us. For the Lord says to us, the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.